Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to a new episode of Germany in Focus, a news podcast made possible by members of The Local. Today we're talking about what to expect from energy costs this winter in Germany and what's happening with inflation. We'll talk about why a controversial German leftist is starting her own political party and what it could mean for politics. After the horrific terror attacks by Hamas on Israel and the subsequent bombardment of the Gaza Strip by Israeli forces, we will be talking about the German reaction and hearing the views of a German journalist reporting on what's been unfolding here in Germany. Finally, we'll talk about some fun things to do to brighten up this November. I'm Rachel Loxton, and I'm in Berlin today with journalists Imogen Goodman and Aaron Burnett. Hello to both of you. Hello. Hello. We're, we're back after a pause. How are you both doing? Great. It's a bit chillier now, though, outside. It is. I'll, yeah. Uh, Berlin is feeling a little brisk. We're starting to get into that cloudy time of year where I use my sad lamp and take vitamin D every day. <laughs> oh yeah, you need that sad lamp. <laughs> yeah, this is this is Berlin in in fall, I'm afraid. But but Christmas is soon here to help us. Brighten okay, our calm spirits. Down. Yeah, just just calm down, Burnett. <laughs> no, it's well. I mean, it's it's a challenging time of year. November is with all of the clouds. Sorry to say. Yeah, <laughs> I have to look forward to something. Okay, yeah, fair enough. We are recording this on November the first. It's actually a public holiday for All Saints Day in some parts of Germany, not in Berlin, but not here. Yeah, we're just past Halloween. Did you do anything for it? I did not, which is very sad because I actually wrote an article on all the best ways to celebrate in all the German states. It and was a I great got, article. Thank you. I got lots of inspiration. I was like, oh, I should do something this year and then didn't really. <laughs> I did go for a nice walk, though, and I live quite near quite a um, sort of family area, friendly area, let's say, in Berlin, uh, in Pankow. So I went for a walk around there and saw lots of very adorable little ghosts and skeletons and one Harry. Potter. Okay, should we get into it? It's got a lot colder, as Indeed. you were saying, Aaron, in yeah. the last few weeks in Germany. Many people will have put their heating on or are thinking about it. If you remember last year, there was a lot of hesitation about turning on your radiators if you have gas heating, because Germany was dependent on Russian gas and the government urged people to cut down on consumption and the prices skyrocketed. It was super expensive. So let's look at what's going on with the energy cost this year. And if there is any advice to save on gas, Aaron, how high will heating bills be for people in Germany this winter? Well, that's actually a complicated question to answer. <laughs> uh, Try the, your best. Yeah. So the base costs will be anywhere between 11 to 20 percent lower than they were in 2022, Rach, according to projections. That depends on what kind of heating you're using. Gas will probably be 11 percent lower lower than last year, wood pellets about 17% lower. And if you have a heat pump, about 20% lower. But don't get too excited just yet. Uh, we are still looking
everything at higher prices than we had in 2021. And then we have something else. The government will raise the VAT tax on gas back up to 19% from the 7% that it had previously cut it to. And that change will take effect in January. That amounts to about 240 euro more a year for a three to four person household in this country. So the relief you might see in November and December could be short-lived. The government will have its gas price cap in place, 12 cents per kilowatt hour of gas, and that could be extended even beyond April when it's set to expire at the moment anyway. But bottom line, prices are probably going to go up even if not by quite as much as before. Good to know. So we know that Germany is not dependent on Russian gas anymore. So does the government still want people to cut down on energy consumption? They're definitely encouraging it. Also because gas and energy price caps shield you from about 80% of your standard consumption. The last 20% is charged at market rates. So you're encouraged to still try and save. But Germany is now buying its gas from Norway, Qatar, and the US, for example. So you're not funding Putin's war machine this year if you do turn up the heat a bit on a cold day. What's happening with electricity prices? The cap on electricity price is a little bit higher than gas. So as I mentioned before, gas is 12 cents per kilowatt hour. For electricity, we see a cap of 40 cents per kilowatt hour. So you're not quite as protected from spikes there. Okay. And are prices for everyday goods coming down in general, Imogen? What's the going on there? Well, we unfortunately can't say that they're going down just yet, but prices are thankfully going up at a much slower rate. So we've got to take our good news where we can get it, oh, yeah. I, I think. So at the start of the year, uh, you might remember the inflation rate was still really high. It was 8.7%, which is just unheard of in ordinary times. Uh, by July, this had already gone down to 6.2%. And the latest preliminary figures for October came in at just just 3.8%. So in other words, this is less than half what it was at the start of the year. You know, if you're not feeling that relief in your wallet just yet, at the supermarket in particular, it's because the cost of food is still rising by around 6% annually. So still a bit over that average uh, inflation rate. Unfortunately, you know, 3.8%, it's a lot better, but we're not quite in the realm of normality yet. That said, it is a relief to consumers who have been feeling the pinch over the past year. Obviously, it's very much linked to the energy prices going down, which kind of has a knock-on effect on everything else. There is one tiny uh, sort of cloud on the horizon, and that's the fact that though inflation was expected to go right down at the end of the year and be around 2% next year, economists are now saying that perhaps the conflicts in the Middle East and the instability there could lead to fluctuations in oil prices. So perhaps that inflation could start creeping up again. We don't know just yet. Hopefully not. Okay, we'll definitely keep an eye on that. Thank you both for those updates. Let's move on to some political news. High-profile German politician Sarah Wagenknecht, who is a member of Germany's left party, or Die Linke, has made waves after announcing that she's starting a new political party that will be named after her. Some commentators have said this new left-wing populist party that she's going to found could steal the spotlight from the far-right alternative for Germany, or AfD. Imogen, can you tell us about Zara Wagenknecht's party? 
Yes, I can. Uh, but the first thing to say is that it isn't a party just yet, though that is definitely coming perhaps as soon as next year. Uh, so what's happened so far is that Sarah Wagenknecht has founded a Verein or association called the Bundes Sarah Wagenknecht or uh, Sarah Wagenknecht Alliance. This is basically going to be the start of fundraising, building up the structures of the political party. And she's hoping to launch that next year in early 2024. So the party doesn't have a full program yet, but it's kind of been described as potentially left-wing conservative or even on the more extreme end, the left-wing RFD. So in other words, broadly left-wing economics and taxation with conservative stances on things like social issues, migration and climate change. So in her press conference, uh, she actually started by saying that she felt she had to found this new party because the current trajectory of politics in Germany would make the country unrecognisable in the next 10 years. Obviously, I think that's a bit of a racist dog whistle, uh, but it does absolutely reflect her scepticism on migration and particularly Germany's asylum policies, uh, which is where she's particularly aligned with the AfD. She's also very critical of the current government's climate policy, you know, in quite a populist way. She wants an end to pretty much all climate protection measures and particularly the things that are going to cost people money. So she says that, you know, e-cars and heat pumps are basically luxuries for the elites and we just can't afford the level of kind of climate measures that we have. She also then uh, wants to switch back on the taps for cheap Russian gas and other fossil fuels. So really going in the complete opposite direction to where the current government's climate policy is going. And on that note, on the international side of things, she has called for a long time for an end to sanctions against the Kremlin. So she says they only hurt Germany's economic interests and won't end the war. And she also wants to stop delivering weapons to Ukraine. Also, no weapons basically to any conflict zone, so also not to Israel. So you can kind of see their energy policy, foreign policy, very pro-Russian. But on the other hand, she does take up the issue of social equality. So things like taxation, uh, she wants more redistribution of wealth. So those are, again, quite populist and traditionally left-wing issues. And we can expect those kinds of things to be in the manifesto when it does emerge. That is a very interesting mix. Sounds a little controversial. What's the reaction been? Yes. Well, as you can imagine, uh, there is a fair amount of anger coming from Die Linke, especially since Sarah Wagenknecht and a number of the other kind of co-founders or defectors, you could say, currently still sit as MPs for the party. So they are they are planning this competitor while still sitting in, in sort of Linke's seats um, oh, wow. in the Bundestag. So that must be an awkward conversation at lunch. The response from the AfD has probably been the most interesting uh, since, as I said, there is a fair amount of overlap there. And in the past, actually, there have been offers for Wagenknecht to actually defect to the AfD and join the party. But I guess they're sort of of smelling a bit of danger with this this new party imagining on the scene and then now accusing her of both uh, communism and narcissism. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Interesting combination. Well, we've seen also the most recent polls, which actually indicate that her party, if it were something that Germans could vote for, um, potentially up to 12% of Germans would vote for. But a lot of the losses in that same poll come from the off days. Mm. So I think the, that the, is the, so interesting. Yeah, the off 
Day lost a full at least 5% in the polls when, when they actually asked the question uh, with, uh, with Wagenknecht's future party. This really is a danger in particular for the AfD um, because it kind of fills a new part of the German axis, political axis, that hasn't really been represented before and maybe might represent many uh, views of AfD voters who like the anti-migrant stance but can't really get on with that neoliberal economics that the party kind of represents. The other impact it will have is that it could well be the death knoll of Die Linke, at least for the time being. So at the moment, they're just scraped into parliament with 38 MPs. Eight of those, at least eight of those, are now going to defect. And that will mean that the party can no longer call itself a party. It will no longer have enough MPs for that. So it will have to rebrand as a group. And that will have huge consequences for funding, how much time they get to speak in the Bundestag. Basically, it's a really bad spot for them to be in. And I I think there's definitely no love lost now between the left party and Sarah Wagenknecht. It really has been damaging for them. What else should we know about Wagenknecht? Because she is quite a prominent figure here. We see her in a lot of talk shows, for example. Ah, yes. Sarah Wagenknecht has been a favorite guest of German talk shows, <laughs> in great part due to her extreme opinions and the idea that including her will balance panels um, ideologically. Mm. And, you know, they've uh, German TV producers have given her that platform to espouse a lot of extreme positions that certainly have some backing among the German public, uh, particularly in the country's East uh, with those kinds of positions. But for the most part, um, the positions that she espouses are not shared by a majority of the German public or voters. During the 2017 federal election, she was the left's top candidate, and she called the Berlin Wall, which 136 people died trying to cross, a, quote, necessary evil. That same year, she called for NATO to be dissolved. That is, of course, the alliance that forms the bedrock of both German and European security. She has called the former East German dictator leadership a better Germany. That's a quote. That's somewhat interesting and ironic because the very thing that she's doing, founding a new party, would have been impossible in that particular Germany because it was a one-party state dictatorship. But there you go. She opposed sanctions on Russia's image and said even after, even after it invaded Ukraine. So that's important. There were uh, German politicians who opposed them before until Ukraine actually got uh, yeah. the Russian invasion. She continued that opposition even afterward, uh, arguing that German workers would have to bear the brunt of gas price increases. She opposed weapons to Ukraine even after um, the invasion. Um, no idea how Ukraine is supposed to defend itself. Again, the vast majority of Germans disagree with her stances on both of those issues. We see that bared out in polls. She's critical of migration, eco-activism, and I quote here, lifestyle lefties, yes, who she says have forgotten the left's original electorate. During the pandemic, she stated publicly that she had not been vaccinated for COVID. <laughs> in 2012, German media reported that her writing was under analysis by the German Office for the Protection of the Constitution. <laughs> now, that is a domestic intelligence agency which monitors anti-constitutional activities of uh, members of both the far left and the far right. A, a lot of AfD-MDBs are currently under um, surveillance by that same body. And in 2022, the Washington Post reported that Russian intelligence documents identify Zara Wagenknecht as a key figure within Germany for the promotion of Russian interests to and sowing discontent, really, with this country's democracy and undermining German support for Ukraine or indeed any other country that the Kremlin may choose to invade in the future. Really interesting stuff. Thank you both. 
If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss. The October 7th terror attacks by Hamas in Israel that killed over 1,400 people and saw around 240 people kidnapped shocked the world. Since then, we've seen heavy bombardment in Gaza by Israeli forces, reportedly killing more than 8,500 people. The war has rocked the Middle East and is being felt in Germany, with the government taking a hard stance against pro-Palestine demonstrators. We'll hear from a German journalist soon. First, Imogen, the German government has thrown its support behind Israel's right to defend itself after the attack by Hamas. Can you tell us about what's been going on on the German politics side of things? Yes, as you say, there has been very, very strong support from the German government for Israel. They have aligned very staunchly on the side of Israel. And in fact, uh, German Chancellor Schultz was the first world leader to actually visit Israel um, in a show of support after those terror attacks on October 7th. And he has repeatedly emphasized that Germany is absolutely on the side of Israel. Israel. This has actually led to Germany blocking calls for an absolute ceasefire within the EU. Um, Foreign Minister Annalena Baerbock um, recently blocked a motion that that wanted to enforce that or at least call for that. I don't know how much impact that would have had. And that was one of the things that led to this being very much toned down. And instead of calling for a ceasefire, um, they ended up calling for humanitarian pauses. So brief uh, respite from the bombardment in order for some water and medical supplies and humanitarian and aid to get through and some foreign citizens to get out. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there there has been a a slight change in tone. I think, you know, in the aftermath of this this shock, the trauma and the tragedy of October 7th, there was an immediate response to cut off humanitarian aid to Gaza. This is a very strong move, given that humanitarian aid is basically how the majority of citizens survive in the Gaza Strip. There are severe food shortages in, in normal times. Since then, though, with this humanitarian crisis, 
this really unfolding under this bombardment, the tone has softened slightly. There has also been calls for Israel to protect Palestinians in the West Bank, but again, stopping short of any direct criticism of Israel or its tactics in this war. Let's hear now from journalist Hanno Hauenstein to get his view on the reaction from Germany and about the wider debate on the Israel and Palestine discussion here. So the reaction on the aftermath of the attack, maybe we can start with the massacre that Hamas committed, was really one of like of utter shock and, and disbelief. And I would say rightfully so. I think it's it's a war crime and it needs to be condemned in the strongest possible terms. However, at the same time, I think like that we what we see out in like the German media sphere and on the part of German politicians is like a, a kind of tendency to sort of, you know, start the clock on Israel-Palestine on October 7th. And I do believe that this constitutes like a brazen sort of reductionism. You know, I think I think like the question whether you where you start the clock within this conflict is always a big question. Do you start it now with October 7th? Do you start it with the hundreds of Palestinians killed in the occupied West Bank only this year? Do you start it with, you know, like the 1967 occupation of Palestine or do you start it in 48? This is always a question. I think like what we see this tendency to kind of like isolate kind of factors within this this conflict and, and, and simply speak about it as if there was no pre history to this, no context. And uh, I think it's important to to name the context, the, the ongoing siege in Gaza, the effective occupation that's been going on for, for 16 years, the, the kind of fact that like no one can leave, you know, that, that Israel controls what goes in and out, all these, all these factors um, and the human inheritance. Germany um, has a, I would say, special relationship to, to Israel um, due to historical reasons, which is understandable. But it, I think it often hinders, you know, calling things by the name. So like Germany has called, you know, Israel's settlement policies as an obstacle to peace, but it's it's never officially, you know, called the occupation of the West Bank and Gaza illegal. And many, many people have argued that this is to do with the fact that there has been an arms deal between Germany and Israel, um, one of the, the biggest arms deal in Israeli history, actually, the Arrow 3 system that was acquired by Germany, um, that this these kind of things hinder Germany to effectively criticize Israel's policies that's been, you know, like very disputed in the international community. And Germany has called for humanitarian pauses to the war to allow aid to get to Palestinians, but not for a ceasefire. Why do you think Germany has is not calling for a ceasefire? Again, I think it's connected to what is called in Germany Staatsraison, the, the quote the quote unquote uh, raison d'état towards Israel, which has been declared in 2008, which is basically a kind of like outright unconditional support for Israel's uh, policies. I can't answer you precisely why it has not called for 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 a ceasefire. I, I, in my mind, should be the absolute minimum position at this point. It is something that I'm in utter disbelief about, and like I, I do believe it has the the kind of potential to to shatter trust in Germany's commitment for human humanitarian law and and policy for for years to come. And so I think what you're what you're getting at, Hanno, is Germany's history and relationship with Israel is is almost kind of paralyzing in a way some of the action or ways that it could relate to the war as it is today. Yes, I do believe that Germany's history um, should caution us towards anti-Semitism. I think it's, you know, Germany has the most brutal anti-Semitic history in the world. I, as a German myself, feel very strongly about this, that we should very much be 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 aware of potential anti-Semitism. And there is certainly a type of anti-Semitism that is embedded within a critique of Israel. I'm, I'm not arguing for ignoring that fact. But I do think that it leads to a misconception of sort of every critique of Israeli policy is anti-Semitic. 
or potentially anti-Semitic, and like it also plays into the the, the kind of um, ideology of sort of brazen ethno-nationalism that 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 uses this type of argument for xenophobic uh, policies. And we see this very much playing out in like in the context of the current um, you know crackdown on like pro-Palestine protests, which is happening, and uh, you know there has been an outright banning on like uh, on again like, protests um, against. Israel's bombing campaign on Gaza following the the massacre that Hamas committed. There has been like a racial profiling in 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 districts in Berlin with like a high high density of Arab and Palestinian population. And there have been like bans in schools on on, on symbols of Palestinian identity, such as kafirs. And you know, I think I, I, these kind of acts they are often like argued for with with the the trope of quote unquote imported antisemitism. I think that's that's a grand misconception. They don't also it's it's also a misconception factually. It does, it's not backed by the statistics. You know, eighty percent of the the anti-Semitic acts in Germany are committed by the far right. But it's also you know I think psychologically dangerous. It's it's a sort of like externalizing, you know, motif to say that basically every every, every kind of uh, anti-Semitic act is committed by by quote unquote foreigners. I think it's it's a very easy way for. for for Germans to kind of get rid of a sense of uh, historical responsibility. You explored the the tough stance that Germany has taken against pro-Palestine protests in your article for The Nation, which we will link to in the show notes. Why do you think German authorities are reacting in this way? You know, police being very heavy handed. You mentioned some other incidents. And and do you think that the police actually do have quite a difficult job in this situation because they want to stop anti-Semitism and not allow pro-Hamas demonstrations? But obviously, many people want to show their support for Palestine. Again, I think it's it's understandable that you know the the kind of executive organs are alert, but at the same time, to sort of pretend that every Palestinians in Gaza, as well as Palestinians here in Berlin or elsewhere in the world, are are not Hamas. You know, Hamas doesn't represent the Palestinian population. And the fact that people want to express mourning and um, anger also over what is happening right now, only, I mean, the latest numbers are are amounting to over 8,000 civilian deaths in Gaza, many of them minors and and children. There, There is no real guideline for the police to sort of like know what they're actually doing. I think they're just like acting in, in very sort of confused and disproportionate ways. Do you think that that is coming from the top in Germany, for example, you know, from the the government and things? Do you think a different kind of message needs to to come from there to see more allowing of peaceful protests, etc.? Yeah, I mean, like the policies have been changing a little bit only in the last in the last days, in the last week. There have actually been protests that have been allowed now. You know, like the, the, it seems like there is a slight shift happening. If you're mentioning like, you know, politicians that have been kind of arguing in this manner seem to see the issue a little bit more. But uh, again, I do believe that like a, a lot of those cases that we've seen play out in, in the cultural sphere um, and in, in other spheres of society where, where kind of Palestinian voices are, are outright cancelled and not allowed to speak on on podiums or and even Jewish and Israeli voices are, are being shut down. Like I heard of another case of a guide in, in the Jewish Museum that has called Israel's um, policies in the occupied West Bank apartheid, which is consistent with the human rights consensus of any serious human rights group um, that is acting today. And he has lost his position in the Jewish Museum over that. So I, I do believe that there is a kind of like element to this where, again, there's a German sort of like ignorance or parochial attitude towards like the international human rights discourse on Israel-Palestine that is really enforced or attempted to be enforced on, on the people living here. And I think essentially 
this will basically endanger Germany's idea of pluralist society. Like if we want to be a pluralist society, we need to urgently engage with those voices. And I think this kind of model seems to really hinder um, the idea of, of, of discourse in this country. I think we need to really just engage with the people that are living there, both Israelis and Palestinians. In Germany, many people, we've, we've seen like talk shows, the biggest talk shows in this country have happened partly on the subject of Israel-Palestine, on the subject of the escalation of the current war. They have happened without any Palestinian voices on stage. And I think this is frankly bizarre, you know, like there, there, there needs to be like an, a, a kind of concrete engagement with the people that are most directly affected by this escalation. Aaron, Germany has restrictions on free speech. For example, the Nazi salute is banned here. Can you tell us about this aspect of Germany? And is this coming into play with some of the restrictions we've seen on pro-Palestine protests? Definitely, uh, Rach, it definitely is. It is important to kind of have a little constitutional note or a note on German constitutional culture here before we get into that. Uh, Germany doesn't have an absolute understanding of free speech the way that people from Anglo countries uh, might. Um, the First Amendment in the U.S. Constitution is freedom of speech. Uh, in the Canadian Charter, freedom of thought and expression come right at the top. In Germany, the first article of the basic law is human dignity is inviolable. So right away, we have a political culture that treats some of these free speech questions a little bit differently. And people have been arrested here for Hitler salutes, for example. Why does this matter right now? Well, right after the October 7th attacks on Israeli civilians and before the government of Israel began bombarding Gaza, Germany saw sporadic gatherings, one of which, a very famous one, was in Berlin's Neukölln district of people who celebrated the brutal murders of Israeli civilians. Um, I myself won't forget one on-the-street interview of a woman on German television who told a journalist when she heard news of the massacres uh, that her family, wir haben gefeiert, or we celebrated. Um, it was just very, very, very difficult to watch, um, particularly with the smile on her face as she said so, about such barbaric murders. Neukölln's integration commissioner even cautioned that extremist groups were active going door to door in Neukölln and in shisha bars on social media with violently anti-Semitic rhetoric. She even cautioned that Jewish people in Neukölln shouldn't advertise their faith too openly. These kinds of events and reports of spooked the government, uh, who are worried that, that rallies that are intended to show solidarity with Palestinian civilians will be hijacked by supporters of the terrorist group Hamas. That's led to numerous pro-Palestine protests being banned, although we still have seen some. Those that do occur have a heavy police presence, and certain slogans are banned and could even see people who use them arrested. So one such example would be the slogan, and I quote here, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free unquote, because such a slogan could be taken to meaning in, or implying support for the disillusion and the destruction of the state of Israel. Anti-Semitism is obviously still a big problem in Germany long after the horrors of the Holocaust. And we have seen a spike in the number of anti-Semitic incidents reported since the October 7th attacks. Aaron, do you think members of the Jewish community in Germany feel safe? Well, there has been a spike in incidents recently. Again, Neukölln's own integration commissioner even cautioned Jews not to be too public with their faith in the area, which is, you know, even a constitutionally guaranteed right. A Molotov cocktail was recently thrown at a synagogue in Berlin. And as I mentioned, we saw actual celebrations of brutal killings on German streets. 
it's no use trying to wish that reality away. What is also true is that this country has a long history with anti-Semitism, even up to the present day. This is not something that is simply confined to uh, the history of World War II. It's not a new problem. The country's criminal offense, uh, criminal offices do frequently record violent anti-Semitic acts committed by Islamist extremists. What is also true is that over 80% of violent anti-Semitic acts committed in this country in 2022 were motivated by far-right beliefs. In 2019, uh, previous German Chancellor Angela Merkel said there is, and I quote here, there is not a single synagogue, not a single daycare for Jewish children, not a single school for Jewish children that does not have to be guarded by a German policeman. And I can tell you anecdotally, at least myself, that that's something I've noticed ever since I arrived here in 2011. The government is certainly focused and other politicians, opposition politicians as well, are clearly focused on anti-Semitism that's present in immigrant communities or among people that may have come here in the last few years. But plenty of it has clearly homegrown and has been around for a lot longer than that as well. Imogen, we've also heard this week and last week about calls to tighten the rules around anti-Semitism in the upcoming German citizenship reforms. What are politicians looking for there? Well, on the, I would say, maybe more extreme side of the debate, CDU opposition leader uh, Friedrich Merz actually recently called for a declaration supporting Israel's right to exist uh, to be part of the citizenship application process. So if you don't sign this declaration saying, yes, Israel is a state, it is a legitimate state, then sorry, no German passport for you. Um, I think that's, that's very unlikely to actually Very come to extreme. You. It's yes, absolutely. It's not and, likely to pass parliament, but he exactly. has suggested it. He's, yeah. He's suggested it. What is more likely to happen and in fact actually happening is that the government and in particular Justice Minister Marco Bushman are now looking at tightening up these kind of legal conditions for citizenship, in particular in the area of ensuring that people with xenophobic, racist or anti-Semitic views do not pass uh, through the process and are actually barred from citizenship. So in, you know, the new law, this is something that they have already tried to tighten up. They've said, you know, actions in the past that don't acknowledge human dignity as laid out in the Constitution, those people would not be candidates or eligible candidates for citizenship. But it does seem that particularly in this area of anti-Semitism, that's somewhere that things could be taken even further. So perhaps even, you know, insults uh, were mentioned by Marco Bushman. They might be investigated to see if there was a real sort of trend of anti-Semitism behind that, if there were anti-Semitic motives. What is not quite clear is how far that goes and, and, you know, what is what is then, you know, considered under the banner of anti-Semitism? Would that include, for instance, calling for a ceasefire in Gaza at one of these, you know, pro-Palestine demos? Mm-hmm. If you got apprehended at a in a banned demo, perhaps would that then buy you for life? Would would posting something like the banned slogan that, that Aaron mentioned, would that then buy you from citizenship? That's all very unclear. But what is very clear is that there is a real zero tolerance policy now. I think, you know, there is really this thing about Meinungsfreiheit, so freedom of opinion or freedom of speech, that then, of course, is not allowed to stray into the realm where it could be seen to sort of promote hate or violence. Really, really interesting stuff. Thank you both. 
We're into the new month and it's suitably dark and wet already. Oh, summer yes. summer really feels like it was a long time ago, doesn't it? It does. You know, for months <laughs> I've been waiting to uh, wear my big cozy scarf and then I uh, finally got cold and I left it on the plane the other day. <laughs> oh. so that's my life. That is sad. Well, let's talk about some events that are happening this month that can cheer us up, even if you don't have your scarf, Imogen. Aaron, what are you looking forward to this month? Well, for those of us who just can't wait for Christmas and already have Mariah Carey oh playing a little bit. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. I know how Halloween is gone. There we go. The Vinex Mart is already opening this month. Uh, one of the earliest to open is the Market of Angels on Neumacht in Cologne. It throws open its doors on the 20th. Uh, most of the other ones in the country start pouring the Glühwein on the 27th. And Dresden's Streitzelmarkt, which I heartily recommend, by the way, is the country's oldest, apparently, that one, uh, starts up on the 29th, so just before um, December starts. However, there are some small sections of Berlin ones that I have noticed at Breitscheidplatz and Potsdamer Platz that are already open. Now, that's just a small sort of section. They're already open. Yeah, right? yeah, they are. Potsdamer Platz is open for about six months of the year. <laughs> Apparently, like. yeah. No, but but uh, but just small sections of those. So not the full market, but there are a few things that are open. And, and yes, I have gone. <laughs> Imogen, what have you got lined up? Well, although I'm happy, very happy to start drinking Glühwein around this time of year, I haven't got anything quite as Christmassy. But what I would recommend and what I'm interested to check out this month is the Mittelaltermarkt or the medieval market at Eisleben, um, which is actually Lutherstadt Eisleben, so a town that celebrates its most famous resident, Martin Luther. Of course, we've just had his special uh, Reformation Day, so this Indeed. is so very topical. So this medieval market has actually uh, actually dates back pretty much to medieval times, so to 1521. Um, and there you can see things like jugglers, knights, fortune tellers. But if you don't know where Eisleben is, um, it's quite near Halle and Magdeburg, so sort of central Germany. And it's just a lovely, charming day out. So I think that's um, something uh, for fans of all things medieval to check out this month. Simon's great. Okay, guys, I have some news for you. I am going to my first American football game. Or as we call it, football. You know, those North Americans you, among you us. You do, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I've, I've kindly been invited as a guest of the Indianapolis Tourist Board. Oh, really? Wow. Yes, to see their team, the Colts. Play, they're playing the New England Patriots. <laughs> sorry, the, new, the Indianapolis Colts and the New England Patriots. Yeah, yeah sorry. Okay. I, I don't know who these you people are. You know, two are. of the most famous teams. <laughs> they're playing, <laughs> Rachel Loxon. <laughs> they're playing in Frankfurt on November 12th. Wow. So, so yeah, so this is part of the NFL's move into expanding into Germany, which we talked about last year on mm -hmm. the podcast. The Kansas City Chiefs, who I only know because Taylor Swift is dating one of the players. I mean, that's a decent reason to know them, <laughs> if, if yeah. I'm honest. Okay. She put them on the map, let's yeah. be honest. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they are playing the Miami Dolphins she in Frankfurt. She can write Frankfurt. a song about them. She will, yeah. They're playing the Miami Dolphins in Frankfurt this Sunday. Oh. So, yeah, so American football or football is coming to Frankfurt. I mean, I, I am going to try and go and, yeah, let's see. <laughs> I think I think the kind of 
pomp of it all. Obviously, pomp is a very un-American word, but I, I think there is just <laughs> <laughs> trying to talk we about We believe this in, in cultural European mixing here in Germany <laughs> in focus. Way possible. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, I think it'll be a, a real experience. I hope they go all out and do it full sort of North American style. Yeah, I wish Get you guys were Get yourself some coming. nachos. <laughs> Definitely. You know. One of those hats that are made out of nachos that you break off at the Yeah. I, think that's from the I wonder Simpsons. if I'll get to meet the footballers. Uh, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> Try and, uh, yeah. So that you can have your own Taylor Swift experience. Yeah, make it happen. <laughs> that's it for this week. Thank you to all our listeners. As always, we will add links in the show notes for the stories we've been talking about. This week's panelists have been Imogen Goodman and Aaron Burnett. Our sound engineer is Reese Edwards. I'm Rachel Oxton. We hope you enjoyed listening and we'll be back again next week. Take care.